Hey, hey there, everybody. This is Little Wars. I'm your co-host, Mongoose Kikimura, and with me today is, as always, my co-host, Jack Karanet. Jack, how you doing? Yo, buddy, still alive? Good morning. I am still alive. Good morning to you, too. And uh, with us today, as well, is our intermittent show guest, good friend, and wonderful audio guy, uh, John. How you doing, John? Inshallah, brothers, monster girl, Sharia forever. Inshallah, the waifu jihad commences. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of what's going on. Has everybody? Uh, how what, is, what has everybody done this week for traditional games? Uh, <laughs> I did a Shadowrun campaign, so I probably did the most traditional gaming of all of us here. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I can beat you, but uh, so, so oh, tell okay. us about your Shadowrun game. Is it going okay? <laughs> uh, not great. It's um, the cracks in the Game Master's uh, capabilities are really starting to show. Um, things that should be handled as downtime are having a large impact on the actual game session. And uh, it's causing the game session to have to get truncated. I mean, we had to cut the session in half because uh, we just we went too long on getting the thing, you know, getting things rolling. And then on top of that, we're still playing with a uh, Eastern European guy. Uh, so like, you know, eight thirty at night over here is like three or four in the morning, and he's like, I have to get up uh, for work uh, in two hour. So I need to get a nap. And it's like, why are you in a game with Americans? I don't get it. Uh, anyway, I could rant some more, but I won't. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely a uh, an issue with playing with people, especially in Europe. Just that, uh, play in a different time zone. Just like go to a different time zone, you nerd. Just well, yeah, I don't. I mean, <laughs> all of these advertisements for role playing games online include the expected time zone and the play time. And this guy showed up, and uh, during the interview process, the GM just let him in anyway. You know, he's. He, I'm sure he said, "Oh yeah, no, it it won't be a problem. I'll be able to join. He's fine. He's fine." But it's like, dude, you're still having us cut short at eight thirty so that you can go to bed. What that's country not is fine. this like, guy that's... from? Is he from Romania? I bet he's from Romania. I think he's from Poland oh. or, you know, one of those Estonian countries. I don't know. I don't. Oh, yeah. One of those. He, he, ah, so he's like he's like one of those uh, Polacks that I hear so much about. Yeah. The Polacks from West Estonia, Slovakia. Yeah. Lithuania, like other places that are basically just Romanians, but North. Gotcha. I think it's North, <laughs> North Kazakhstan, something like that. North Kazakhstan. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Isn't that just the Earls, like, like Croatia? No, not Croatia. Croatia is just North Bosnia or something like that. It's it's no, one of the North Earls. Kazakhstan it's like, is just Chechnya. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's like the Ukraine Earls. There's the the um, uh, Southern Russian Earls. I think. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, well, basically, this dude is probably a Romanian. Yeah. How yeah, oh yeah. how how close are these people to the uh, to the Crimean vampire uh, atrocities that are going on? Mm. I mean, I mean, are these are, are mm. these people part of the uh, part of the vampire uh, colony? Let me let me ask you this: You're in this nice Crimea area, right? And your government suddenly gets ousted and taken over by Antifa. Wouldn't you also turn to the dark arts of blood drinking in order to oppose these communist scum? Well, I mean, Rom Romania does border 
the Ukraine. Yeah. Um, I would go to Transylvania and learn how to become a vampire to fight Antifa. Hmm. Are we sure that the Romanians teach anybody anything other than, like, vor and, like, furry stuff and liberalistism? I'm like, fairly certain. I'm fairly certain that V is a uh, is is not representative of most of Romanians. <laughs> yeah, that's really really not fair. I think uh, gypsies are more. The, the only the only Romanians I know on the internet are um, whenever whenever like uh, whenever I'm on like obscure corners of Tej and like some like D drama like kicks up on Tej like occasionally. Um, there's like they're like sometimes people will reference this Romanian vorfag who like draws shit and it's just like ah oh, god damn it there's more than one <laughs> <laughs> that, that is an alarming trend now I don't know see, see though that that's that's why I associate it it's like I'm like hmm hmm <laughs> I would like to point out though that uh, that the internet the internet is like a great uh, it's like it's like a great degeneracy lens, you know, like 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 whatever local degeneracy that you may have in your own little niche in the world is like magnified a billion times on the Internet. Mm. It's like a pig trough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's how I look at it anyway, is that yeah. uh, is that is that Romanians may be based and red pilled, but uh, but every single one of them we, we know online is a uh, <laughs> So, so all the wholesome ones are staying local in Romania, and all the weirdos are going on the Romanian exactly. internet. Exactly. <laughs> okay, exactly. gotcha. Crush the urbanite. Hmm. Yep. Because <laughs> even Romanians have urbanites. Yeah. Unbelievably. So yeah. So yeah, as, as far as far as me, uh, however, for for uh, um, for traditional games, I have been staring at my mag- at my unfinished Magnus model and and hitting myself over the head that I have not been painting him. Well, what's been the uh, what's been the holdup? Like, what's why haven't you started? I don't know. It's just like writer's block or something. I I uh, so well, I painter's got, block. I, painter's block. There you go. I've got I've got a. Um, I've got some uh, some lead belcher primer or not lead belcher silver primer specifically, and I'm going to pre prime all of his uh, armor pieces. I decided to not do the big tittied uh, breastplate, the uh, the the horn breastplate, horned breastplate, mm. uh, specifically because it looks stupid, and also I think that uh, that the model just in general looks better without that breastplate but i also think that a lot of his other armor pieces look pretty cool so so i'm looking into like attaching uh different you know different armor pieces for different uh for different parts of his body but but uh but before i attach them i i do have to paint his skin so so you you'd think that that would be Mm. incredibly easy but i don't know I've seen I've seen a lot of guides online, and uh, his red skin is you. A, a lot of people do it as like kind of a purplish hue, but I really want to do it as a dark redder hue. Redder. I don't know if that's even a so word. So you're going but... for like the tan anime girl appearance, <laughs> the, the big the big titty chest plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I don't. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, but yeah, but but he has to be red. It's you know, it's mm. just who he is i'm also i'm also slightly uh i'm i'm also trying to plan out exactly how i'm going to do his wings because his wings are going to need to be dry brushed like like for 15 hours straight 
to get exactly what I want out of his wings. So is he like one eighth Cherokee? Is that what we're going for here? He's got the feathers and the red and. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, so, so the, the issue comes because he's got, he should have a base red skin, but, uh, there are based red skin but his uh his feathers jut out from like his heel and his elbow and uh and every so so you you need to do the transition from red to blue which is you and usually how you do that transition is you is you go through the like a purplish hue right Mm. yeah yeah so that's that's kind of the and then and then of course from blue to like teal and then from teal to a very very light teal for like all the little runes and shit on his. So uh, he's transitioning too. He's he's transitioning. He is the Lord of Change. So ah he's, yeah wow, yeah or okay. or no he uh, he he uh, he serves the the Lord of Change. So yeah yeah. So he he transitions every minute really. <laughs> What's your TPM? Your transitions per minute, my dude. <laughs> Right, right. So, and I still haven't played a game with him, despite the fact that I have uh, that I have him built. Although my friend, uh, my Blood Angel friend, I I agreed to do a four hundred and forty five point uh, little skirmish with. Uh, he's going to build a a list of Blood Angels that's four hundred and forty five points, and I'm just going to take Magnus, and we're going to see who uh, mm. who wins. So that should be fun. Gotcha. I will report back when I, when I have successfully uh, crushed all the pigeons. <laughs> excellent. Yes, very excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um. <sighs> so t- so tell me about your Flames of War game. Well, it was going really well. So I I had taken a um, what's it called? Gepensete Pensacadenadier Company out of the uh, the brand new uh, Kursk book, and by brand new, I mean almost three months old at this point, but that's pretty new for Flames of War, the speed they roll stuff out at. So I'm, I'm sitting there pretty good, running pretty high on the hog. I've got my, uh, got my large number of dudes all rolling up in half tracks, and I've got a big Ferdinand, this, that, and the other. You know, so I'm rolling up the board. It's, uh, I forget the name of the mission. I think it was like... No, it's hasty. Well, anyway, basically, my opponent is in one corner. I'm in one corner, and then the corner that's di- diagonally opposite of me that my opponent is not in is an objective I have to get. So actually, I'm doing mm. fairly good. I uh, I maul pretty good a couple of Soviet companies. I uh, roll up with my uh, transports, get the you know start moving in on the objective, doing all that stuff. And then my opponent, like in the last few turns of the game, brings in his Sturmovic, and just rolling randomly for it, brings it in, blows up all my tank destroyers, and then blows up my Ferdinand. So I've lost like literally half my list at that point and can't win the game because I no longer have effective weapon systems so I just lost, which really kind of brings into Ouch. stark contrast what I hate about aircraft in Flames of mm. War, which is that in their current iteration, they're very difficult to deal with because anti-aircraft guns just don't kill them very well. And they're very low skill in terms of use. If you just roll well with it, you kill a lot of things. If you don't, you don't. And it's really just a gamble. 
and it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I, I think we've done this bit before, but just to just to kind of rehash it, um, <clears throat> the uh, the whole the whole aircraft thing on a tabletop horror game, I'm I'm really uh, split on it because for one thing, I think they they can be really cool as long as you keep them to like a uh, like a like some sort of small hovering craft, you know, with special rules. Uh, but when you try to do some sort of high, uh, you know, high velocity, high altitude, you know, aircraft, then then you run into those things where it's like, well, we can't keep it on the board at all times because that wouldn't be very realistic. And uh, you still have to try to hit the opponent and all that. I like the idea of using like floss or fishing wire and then tying the little model of the airplane up and then having it like, you know, really high above. And then you just swing it back and forth like a pendulum. <laughs> <laughs> nah, with, the, with flames, flames, it works kind of differently insofar as every aircraft is just a ground attack craft. Well, except for two, notably. And I could get into those, but those are a little different. And the way it used to work is you'd roll, you'd have a pool of dice to summon your aircraft and you could roll all your dice and then every dice you got above a five would basically count towards getting your aircraft and your opponent may have a pool of dice and he could roll them against you. And however many he got above the certain number would cancel out your aircraft. And then you would roll a dice to determine how many aircraft you got with a modifier, depending on like the kind of aircraft priority you purchased prior to the game. And then you would summon your aircraft flight in, and the amount of aircraft in the flight would determine... It was represented by one model, but they would determine how well it shot. And then your opponent would take anti-aircraft fire, which in, in those times wasn't really that bad. Like It, it, it was fair. The anti-aircraft fire could reasonably kill aircraft. It, was, it posed a reasonable threat. Now you just sort of roll one dice for a fixed number of aircraft that each time you kill one, like you, you're, you have one less aircraft, but... They um, they are so resilient to anti-aircraft fire and so hard to hit that most people don't ever bother taking it, which because it's a waste because your opponent can very easily put it outside because just because the way the game is played now, anti-aircraft fire just is too fragile or too sort of non-mobile to really be useful, especially against any any reasonable aircraft. So. You really don't end up taking it. You're, if, you're, if it shows up and it kills stuff, it does. So it's really just sort of a coin flip to see, I can win the game or not, I'm going to flip a coin, as opposed to, I'm going to win the game or not, and I'm going to take a long shot, but it's still some uh, a play I'm making with my dudes that I've figured out, and if I roll well enough, it can work, but it, you know, it's a, it's a last-ditch effort. But it's still kind of skill-based. With aircraft, it's not so much. It's just sort of gambling. Yeah. I feel like I feel like most war games take that approach because you know I you know I've I've kind of ignored aircraft for most uh, of um, my my hobby time because I mean it's it's just it's just silly and like you know none none of my none of my friends have dedicated anti air which is part of, which is what GW did when they. Uh, when they first, I don't know, like like I'm pretty sure they've always had aircraft, but uh, what they did was they made dedicated anti-air models that you had to buy, or not 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 necessarily had to buy, but it was you know it was almost impossible to shoot down an aircraft if you didn't have these things. So I don't know it. 
it doesn't really it doesn't really sit well with me. One of the things that I do like though is I do like stuff like the uh, the Storm Raven or things that can go into a hover mode or or like a helicopter type thing where you can actually move them around. They have a few uh, special rules to avoid getting hit. So th- so they're so they're almost like a regular model except they you know they're slightly more agile and they're slightly more vulnerable. But it's not like it's not like you're taking points just to roll a few dice every every turn and you know hit or miss. I guess they never miss, huh? Oh no, no. <laughs> I had to. Sorry. the the problem The problem I have with it is the Flames of War aircraft problem would be fixed just by like us like one change to the rules, where as opposed to hitting the aircraft on its hit on stat, the uh, the anti air weapons just rolled on their own skill. And that would mm. that would change things immensely, because now the aircraft have a very 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 hard time against uh, against most things actually, because most things on average will be hitting them more often. Um, in fact, the only things that wouldn't be changed are low skill units, which actually are the most powerful against aircraft because they just have the most shots because there are fewer points because they're low skilled mm-hmm. but that that would be the only thing that would really help it and it would because in third edition aircraft were more balanced because they you shot them on your skill for one and you know you could reasonably kill them yeah i feel like i i feel like in uh in 40k they finally got aircraft relatively well balanced because instead of hitting hitting the aircraft on your skill you hit them on your skill minus one Right. I was about to say, I'd imagine that uh, a good compromise would be have the more evasive plane types have some sort of a, an evasion bonus that subtracts yeah. from the uh, the unit's skill to hit. Right. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I, I think aircraft are better uh, in 8th edition. I, th- I think that's one of the things that they actually improved are the aircraft rules. But, yeah, I, I still don't I still don't see a reason to take them. And uh, yeah. I like how you basically you basically have like a gentleman's agreement with your gaming group where it's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, nobody, nobody take uh, aircraft. We will fight these battles on the ground. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's the way yeah. a lot of people are with games is like m- my buddy actually doesn't keep to the gentleman's agreement because he's like, well, what am I going to do if I can't take the Sturmovic? Everything sucks. I'm like, there are like half a million things you could do without a Sturmovic. Like, I want to win, though. I don't want to have fun. Well, I mean, that's part of it. It's just like, Clement, calm the, calm down, buddy. Like, there are ways you can deal with... Like, I've, I've been playing Brits for a long while now, and I've dealt with German big cat lists with, without even 17-pounders. Uh, just with... Well, I okay, never mind. I've always had 17-pounders on my Brit list, but... <laughs> Uh, you mean I mean like uh, seventeen pounders is in like uh, fireflies and stuff, but I've never like I've dealt with them without taking a whole lot of dedicated anti tank, and there are ways you could deal with them. Um, you just have to be clever. I uh, I just I don't like aircraft because it removes like yet another. It's just oh I rolled randomly. Oh I rolled randomly again. Poof a unit's gone. Ha ha. Mm. Game yeah. done. Yeah, I well, this is this is one of the reasons why I like helicopter type aircraft better is that uh, is that they they have a battlefield presence. 
Yeah, they have a battlefield presence, exactly. Well, you know what you know what be then would be interesting is if you're gonna play like a Flames of War game, you've got the battlefield session, but then you've also got next to it like a dog fighting arena. And you have to fight for dominance of the air in order to use those aerial ground attack craft on what's going on in the the back actual uh, battlefield. That was kind of how third edition worked, where you had a dice pool that was your air support, and when you rolled against your opponent, you were basically summoning your interceptors to attack their ground attack craft, and mm. you could cancel you could cancel out their attack run. Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's a simpler version of what I was thinking of, but yeah, like the you should be able to have defensive aircraft that are just there to shoot down enemy ground attack craft. I know you're not the biggest wargaming dude, but the the thing about it that you got to remember is that airplanes and wargames, uh, unless it's a pure airplane airplane based wargame, which tends to be very complicated and weird, um, generally tend to not go well together, and even airplane war games tend to be kind of clunky and odd because of the way they they move together. I mean, that just means nobody's found a, a way to do it well yet. <laughs> well, they they have, but it's still compare like to just tack on an, an airplane like half to a pre-existing game like doubles the game and nobody wants to do that either well they they actually tried to do that near the end of seventh edition i don't know if you knew this but they they had like yes i am aware weird like mini game or some shit where you know everyone's planes fought in the sky and there were there were different you know like like you said it was incredibly clunky you know there were there were different rules for them and everything it was kind of I don't know, it was kind of silly. Oh, no, I remember that. Yeah. And I, I remember, you know, kind of wondering, why that? Why do we need all these aircraft rules? When I went to Flames 3rd Edition and the aircraft just popped in, popped off, it was just like, oh, this makes so <laughs> much more sense. Because, <laughs> like, 80% yeah. of war games have that. I'd imagine they'd have to build it from the ground up for it to be uh, something that didn't feel like an added-on extra burden. Well... Uh, they they do have a, a version of Flames of War that takes place in the 80s called Team Yankee. It's about like a Cold War gone hot scenario. It's like 1981 in Germany. And mm. you have a lot of helicopters and you have a lot of ground attack craft. But the anti-air and aircraft in that game, they tend to work better because you have a lot more options for it. And your, your units generally tend to be more effective at taking down aircraft because you have things like guided missiles. Not necessarily always relying on like just cannons. Yeah. That leads me to to something something else I've been I've been thinking about recently. What 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 is your uh, opinion on off map uh, help? Like like for instance, off map artillery those kind those kinds of abilities. Okay, so I I, ha- I have a uh, I have a I've I actually do have an opinion on this, and I think that it's it's not good for a mainline game all the time. But if you have specialized so for example in flames of war we have this um this sort of specialized game mode called city fight and in city fight if you have artillery like designated support artillery units they can't come on the board uh they have to be off the board and then they measure their uh their bombardment from your friendly board edge uh for for making bombardments and that that makes the most sense to me for that scenario because it's very cramped and small board and that's how you would do urban sieges, is you wouldn't really bring your artillery up in there. Right. They really wouldn't be around there. You would keep them on the outside of the city and, and just bombard 
where you think the enemy is. Right. There used to actually be an old rule in the game for the older Stalingrad books called Guns Over the Volga, where the Russians could get artillery that was off the uh, over the River Volga and would roll in from their uh, from their table edge. And there was also um, there was calling in ship artillery, where you would call in ship bombardments for a lot of Allied lists for beach landings and things where they used it. Now, the ship artillery was generally rightfully hated and feared because it was very broken, especially in an addition that relied heavily on artillery because it was an artillery battery you couldn't kill. Um, and nobody liked that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah, that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the general idea is that, you know, you're not able to kill these things. You're not able to silence them. You know, like, uh, you know, when you're when you're looking across the field and you see your enemy, you you think to yourself, okay, well, I I need to go after these tanks first, or this, uh, this walker first, or this knight first, because this is going to cause me a lot of problems. And if I can kill them in one turn, then I can silence it, right? I can I can make it so that they don't they're not usable anymore. But with off map artillery, it it's kind of you know, it, it's not a small thing because they're going to be able to use that all game long. Well, here's the thing about the uh, about the uh, the artillery and flames that was off map is that the way you dealt with it is you killed the observer team, but the observer teams tended to be extremely that your opponent you had to kill all your opponent's observers, and in third edition, you you had observers coming out your ears. Um, you would have maybe like three or four for a battery, and the off-map artillery would come with airplane observers, which were amazing because like they just sat there and could go anywhere and see anything. Naturally, they could be shot down with AA guns, but like you know, they just needed to be in sight. They did so you weren't necessarily worried about getting them as close to the opponent. So you know, you, you didn't put them in range of your opponent's AA guns. wasn't really a problem for you. There were basically two ways to handle. Uh, airplanes then would be to kill the observers or shoot it down with anti-air. Well, the, the, the there was an observer airplane and there were also observer rifle teams and you would have like oh. one observer airplane and then if you'd bought like mortars and like artillery, those would come up as observers too. So sometimes like I remember rolling up in third edition taking like artillery light lists where I was taking like six mortars and four howitzers where like that was the artillery spam edition so you could expect like maybe like 12 dedicated howitzers and I'd roll up with like I don't know, something like five or six infantry observers, which are just hard to kill because they're all all over the place. And infantry is like just a pain in the ass to kill in Flames of War anyway. But the thing about the off-map stuff now is that, you know, there isn't off-map naval bombardments anymore, which is cool. Uh, You only get one observer per list and observers are significantly easier to kill now. So you can deal with that. Um, When you have those games where you're like... uh, in Stalingrad, where the artillery is off the map, it's actually a howitzer unit you had to purchase. Um, so that's fine. Uh, everybody kind of agrees because it's kind of more equivalent there. Because if you and your opponent both take howitzers, which most people take howitzers now, you know, then they're off the map. That's fine. Everybody can kind of agree to that. But it used to be that things were way worse. And I don't really like off map artillery when you get all this, like, well, I have this off-map thing, and then I have this off-map thing that counters your off-map thing, and Flames of War has that kind of now where you have stuff that can mess with reserves uh, in the form of, like, little command cards. But it, it if you get too heavy into that, it kind of starts to drag things away from the actual tabletop game itself, which should be the primary focus. Which is part of the reason they put artillery on the board in the first place in Flames, where in all, with all due respects, outside of, like, a few cases in like the North African campaigns, 
artillery should be nowhere on the flames board according to the scale, but it's on there anyway just to prevent things from being off the board. Yeah, that that, that always bothered me when, uh, you know, because you see this in a lot of, you know, uh, sci-fi uh, games, not just 40k, but a lot of sci-fi games where they'll just have the artillery like there, you know, and it's, it's like, it's like, why, why in the world would I, you know, why would I, why in the world would I put my basilisk all the way up on the front lines, right? Like, like this thing, this thing can, can, you know, fire the, or at least it looks like it can fire way, way uh, off the map. I've always thought that what what should happen is that you have just spotters for your artillery, right? You can move your spotters around and you have to protect them and everything. So, or even just like a spotter tank or something, you know? The Yeah, well, in 40k, infantry is infinitely less durable than infantry in flames. So I, I think just spotters in 40k would be completely fine. But I am not of the opinion that, that spotters in other games, you know, you know, yeah. flames especially, <laughs> that that wasn't a good choice. And, there, you know, you're thinking like, oh, I don't want my artillery on the board. It's because you've never played the alternative as well. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I really I really do need to, uh, I really do need to branch out. Well, no, I mean, I'm saying that as in you haven't experienced how bad things can really get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If only you knew how bad things really were. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, yeah, this this kind of makes me want to want to make uh uh supplement rules for for the for these kinds of war games that just like changes the way off-map resources are uh, are are used. You could even you could even have like I mean, I mean like that that's another thing is that off-map, you know, uh not just bombardment or air support, but also units can come in too. Like, like, what do you, what do you, what do you generally think about that? Either of you, like deep striking units. Hmm. I. Uh, mm. Or or paratroopers. Well, okay, paratroopers don't work like that though. You never drop into a combat zone. You drop outside the combat zone, group up, and then move into your objective. Yeah, but that's not that's not fun though. Well, <laughs> you know, it's you have not to... fun, but it's real. Well, no, you you don't realize how much fun it is not having to worry about deep striking units. Like, oh, it's like my favorite thing about Flames in comparison to 40k is my opponent can't just drop five Terminators wherever he wants with pinpoint accuracy. <laughs> See, but but that's <sighs> but that that was okay. So so first of all, in most most editions before eighth, it wasn't pinpoint accuracy. Okay, so. okay, let's 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 stop just a second and step back and realize that what we have here is a clash of. Two Two very different worldviews. We have the autistic <laughs> mongoose who likes to set everything up in advance and set up a plan and roll it out, you know, based on the plan and, you know, make the all these uh, priority assessments ahead of time. And then we've got Jack who likes the chaos and the frenetic nature of battle and, you know, the random showing up and the excitement of like, oh, you remember that one time I dropped that guy? Oh, yeah, that was so good. You know, so we've got very, two very Wait, different no, worldviews no. here. You got to understand, <laughs> Flames is not that way, though. Flames just doesn't have teleporting dudes that come in randomly in the battlefield. What it does have instead is uh, it has some of the most awful, and by awful I mean insane reserves rules of any game ever, where you're required to keep a large portion of your force in reserves if you're 
doing certain things. And then where they come in is like almost entirely random about, I'd say 70% of the time. So it's still on the opposite. It's still on the other guy's side though, right? Not necessarily. (laughs) It depends on the mission setup. Flames is a vastly it's a it's a it's unpredictable but in different ways. I just don't like the uh oh yeah, no, now you have to like keep a, a, a dummy unit of infantry in your backfield to deal with all this crap, you know, that you you know, drop pods and all that stuff. It it just I know uh drop pods felt always cheesy and spammy and it never I never liked the mechanic the way 40k handles it in my opinion isn't very mechanically interesting or fun either, you know? Well, okay, so, so, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I've kind of got mixed feelings, and, and I, I kind of like to explain my mixed feelings about all this. Like, uh, John, John is correct. I mean, like, I kind of like, I kind of like having a more chaotic uh, field, kind of like that. And, uh, and I'm not, suge- I'm not suggesting that like things are stale in, in Flames of War. In fact, in fact, I kind of like the reinforcement. Uh, idea behind uh, behind reserves like that, like coming in from the side or from the back or or even from the opponent's side, you know, if there's room, like like that's 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 very interesting. Teleporting units, I've always felt were uh, you know kind of made the game a little bit more interesting. Uh, but so so the problem, I, I feel I feel like the core. Uh, mechanical problem that most of these companies don't can't really uh, address though is the fact that when you buy one of these units you're essentially just uh, you're essentially paying points for a unit that you can't use right away you know you have to you know you have to bring it in at some point yeah but but you trade that but you trade that with the ability to to come in Either on any side you wish, or uh, you know, in the in the case of terminators or drop pods, you can teleport into right, like right in the center of somebody's lines. So, so I feel I feel like that's the big uh, I feel like that's the big trade off that you get, and and sometimes it screws you royally. You know, if you take two squads of terminators, that's like five hundred points. That might be like a fourth of your list that you're that you've just set aside and said, well, I'm not going to use this yet. You know. Yeah, until I mean, like turn two or turn three. The the one thing about flames that I think mitigates that sort of teleportation thing is how fast a lot of things move on the board comparatively. Mm-hmm. Like most units in forty k move like six inches, right? Uh, not anymore. Uh, every oh. single unit now has their own movement score, so ah. so you can have very very fast uh, infantry. Now. Yeah, flames. Flames. The minimum movement speed is like eight inches, and then everything like goes up from there. Like the fastest a T thirty four, like earlier one can move. They'll like be like, oh yeah, no, I'm just gonna dash like twenty eight inches across the board, mm-hmm. which you know. Well, no, yeah, I mean, like that's still way faster than the vast majority of forty k units. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I think you do have a point there. I like you know, I'm I'm actually kind of curious what would happen if they changed a lot of the movement. Like like just added two or three inches to all of their movement stats, like how that would affect the game. They did that in the in the last edition of Flames of Wars. They changed around a lot of the movements. Um and it really did affect the way people played a lot of units. Um infantry now are way more mobile and the game itself has become very, very 
much more, even more movement heavy than it used to be. And it was a very movement heavy game in terms of how you won and lost, like most war games. But it's it's almost all become a game about moving more so than shooting or doing anything else, which I like. Um, yeah, the, uh, trying to figure out what your opponent is going to do when he moves and stuff. I think that's really the best way to give depth and uh, add a lot of strategic elements to a, a war game, which really sort of it really helps flames out in my opinion. That's, that's part of the reason I really like the game and why I probably will never go back to 40 K is because 40 K doesn't have that. It doesn't have flames movement system, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not a huge expert on flames movement system, but I think, I think that especially in the latest edition, at least with movement there, they did keep a few of the, a few of the good rules that came out of seventh edition uh or you know previous editions like like the ability for if you take some weapons the ability to move and shoot at the same time or run and shoot at the same time and uh you know like 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 those those kinds of things i think are very underserved in 40k specifically because i mean you know pe- people don't really put a huge uh uh value on movement like that, like positioning. And I think I think that's one of the big problems right now is that everyone lines up all their dudes and you can only really move six inches at the, you know, usually, like at, on average, you can only really move six to seven inches. And and it's just like, well, do you want to run? Like, like, then you have to roll a dice and see, like, you know, hope that you don't get a one, you know? It's like... Oh, no, uh, if you look at older codexes of the game where they, like, have, like, sections on, like, how they deploy their armies and stuff, you'll see guys that are, like, you know, 20 or 41st Millennium Space Marine soldiers, and they're all lined up in Napoleonic era formations <laughs> with tanks spread out intermittently. It's just like, yes, uh, Brother Napoleon, we shall line up, beat the drum, and march into the enemy. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that that feel when you're so advanced that your civilization comes back around to traditional yeah. means of combat. Oh no, it it gets even better because because not only is it that they're they're standing in the middle in the open on this neon green grass field, <laughs> like it's just great. That's traditional. That's trad right there. Neon yeah. green grass. Well, well, I mean, <laughs> astroturf. Well. I'm pretty sure they cover this actually in one of the in one of the codexes. Some, somebody asked the Space Marines, "Well, wait a second. When you were a scout, you had all this like cloaking and camouflage like equipment. Like, <laughs> like you know, why why don't you use that anymore?" And he's like, "Well, because I realized how obnoxious it was." <laughs> right, <laughs> right, and I and you know I do not try to hide from the enemy. I have impenetrable armor now. I actively want the enemy to come to me, and uh, and I and I proudly wear the colors of my chapter. I, I think the whole scout thing is like they they force them to be stealthy just long enough to be absolutely fed up of stealth, <laughs> and they're like they're like I am so ready to just just have at the enemy. Give me the armor. I want to charge. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I th- I think there is a chapter of Space Marines like reasonable Marines where they actually do have camouflage yeah. on their armor and shit. Well, that's it's like a fan made thing. I the way I always kind of looked at it was like, I, like the scouts had to do that because they were more fragile and they are valuable. So, but because they can't put power armor on them, they just end up being forced into that battlefield role. I, I remember distinctly reading the fourth edition guard codex where you could buy battle doctrines for your guardsmen, 
and one of them was literally you line your dudes up in Napoleonic fashion and they get a you get a bonus and it's like why not buy that always you're always going to be doing that it's 40k <laughs> put put them on a tray if you put them on a tray you get a bonus it was basically that <laughs> move them up based and tray pilled see i think you know i i i think that would be really cool if you if you made an entire guardsman unit with uh you know, with like uh, with like Napoleonic era like shields and shit, but with laser guns. So, mm. I don't know. I th- I'm pretty sure I went over that. That one of my friends did that, and it was pretty pretty cool. I mean, why not? Right? You've got you've already got a lot of cribbing from uh, like World War uh, conflicts, you know, style infantry. Yeah, you got the the Death Guard of Krieg with little with with like with like the plate helmets and like the uh, yeah. the Lander Schneck outfits and everything. Except they have laser. Yeah. Guns. Why? So why not? Yeah. Because GW doesn't want us to have really good models, they just want us to have good models. Yeah, because they because they have to like you know drip it like slowly. Like well, a, if you, if you're too happy with them, you won't ever buy a new one. Right. Exactly. I'm sure. I'm sure this comes up in their fucking boardroom meetings. They're just like, oh, <laughs> this model's awesome. We should never see the light of game, the should... light of day. Yeah. Yeah, we should tone it down. Put more stupid detailing on that model. <laughs> it's too good. He doesn't have enough plumes and 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 baroque. <laughs> he's more baroque. Put more baroque on Robot Geilman's ar- ar- armor. He needs to look like a demon prince from twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know. I, I've I've always liked the idea uh, and. I, I've always I, I don't know call me call me a weirdo but I've always liked the idea of like teleporting units like right into the thick of things to cause chaos you know it is a very different mindset though it's it's the spectacle versus the strategy right yes exactly somewhat yeah somewhat I mean they're both valid they're just different like you guys just get along that's all I'm saying <laughs> well they're <laughs> no. <laughs> But no, <laughs> Terminators are dumb, and they look and they have this look like I just shit and fart. Like they, that's how they stand. <laughs> like if you ever look at the old Terminator models, it's just like he's got this look on his face, like he's just standing there, like, uh, Emperor, uh, I just shit and fart. <laughs> like it's just so this, bad. Th- this armor, this armor has waste disposal, right? <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> it used to, but now it's clogged. Yeah, right. uh, old school Terminators were such ugly models. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I've got some actually. A friend of mine, a uh, friend of mine. My 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 house is kind of like the uh, the Island of Misfit GW toys because you know <laughs> because every once in a while a friend of mine is like, hey, do you want these? It's like, yeah, sure. It's a much more violent rendition right. of the Island of Misfit <laughs> toys. There's a there's a lot of purging going on. <laughs> more based, more red pilled. Yeah. Yes. More fascist pilled. So yeah, yeah. I yeah. I don't know. I actually do have a take on the um, 40k and fascism, right? Like, I, I actually have a critic. I have a critical take on the entire like 40k is right wing and red pilled sort of thing, and it's not necessarily like I'm gonna like nitpick to be a spurg or like I want to be right, but I, I, I think it's it's worth considering because I, I was thinking about this, right? I was I was actually reviewing Moldbug recently. I was thinking about Moldbug. Hmm. And I was thinking about it, and something occurred to me. And you know what occurred to me? What's that? 40k reifies a lot of 
uh, sort of progressive narratives about the construction of civilization in in its sort of prioristic assumptions about the the Imperium and its other factions. Explain, because okay, well, be, because because I, I I know Moldbug, I've I've read Moldbug, but I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in this line of thinking. Okay, so. Moldbug's premise, or one of his many premises, right? For those for those of you who have not read your Moldbug, read Moldbug, uh, establish uh, technocracy, move to Silicon Valley. Um, but for those of you who aren't familiar, super familiar, one of the one of his premises is that the right stands for all order, and the left stands for not order. The left is civilizational entropy. That 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 civilization. Uh, is sort of being um, that order is sort of being unraveled by the left, and that's that's entropic, and that's why you see this left or shift in history is because they're they're entropic, and that's that's what's happening. The left is, is an entropic uh, sort of thing, and and Moldbug predicts that everything's going to collapse and re- be rebuilt or something like that. So, something it's he's kind of vague on that bit. I think that, or I just haven't read enough of it, but that's your, that's, that's one of his premises, right? Is that the left is entropic and the right is, um, is not, uh, mm-hmm. the right, the right is supposed is ideally supposed to establish values and, and rules and things and hierarchy. Yeah. 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 Well, the hierarchy falls into that all, all order. Now I have a question for you guys. Where is entropy in Warhammer 40 K? It's in the right wing. It's, right. Well, no, it's chaos. Not necessarily. Yeah. Um, because chaos chaos just is. Like, chaos isn't making any progress in on it. Like, I'm, I'm talking about it in terms of the way its society is constructed, right? Like, chaos society will always be... Like, there will always be the greater demons of Slanesh that eat the souls of, like, well, I'm not talking Nerds. about those. I'm talking about the chaos cultists that infiltrate into the civilization on on individual planets, and then you know bring through their rituals. They'll bring about demonic invasions that throw the entire previous civilization into chaos, literal chaos. Yeah, sort of. I mean that that's one of many things. But the real the real sort of reason the Imperium is falling apart, right, is is its bureaucracy, and that that is like one of the core tenets of the setting, and one of the things that will be very obviously pointed out to you as you start to get into it. It's not necessarily that the Imperium is besieged on all sides. It's that the Imperial system is so inefficient. Now... It's besieging itself. Right. It's so inefficient or whatever. Now... Well, it's... The system is clogging the ability of the individual parts to respond to the siege in a meaningful and concise manner. Well, see, you're... I... Because, mm, see, this is where my critique comes in, is... The system is presumed to be inefficient, besieging itself, and ineffective because the system is written by people that would not consider a system that was, you know, built like that to be efficient and effective. They can't conceive of that in their minds. Um, So do you you think it's projection on their part? Well, I don't know about that because... There's the whole like uh, Imperium Segundum, Segundus or whatever, which Secundus. was uh, under Gilliman, and they, he also had a massive bureaucracy, but he was running it at a fine-tuned level. Like he but was actually doing what, significantly what, what, better. What does Gilliman compare to the Imperium? Gilliman is a woke Reddit atheist who runs things according to like you know woke 
like moderately so, woke. So from Gilliman like, is neo-reactionary. Gilliman is not neo-reactionary. Gil- Gilliman is just like a, a Scandinavian-style socialist, as they would say. <laughs> like Gilliman is like in their eyes, he's just running things like you know efficiently and effectively, like you know using the government for good. Like he's he's like. In their eyes, in the, in the eyes of the people that would write this, Gilliman is more like, you know, Sweden, right? Is, is how they're conceiving of this, like Sweden. I don't see the socialism aspect in Gilliman's Well, when I, when I, say, I say socialism is a shorthand to try to communicate to people with Republican priors, uh, like left-wing, you know, sort of acceptance of state bureaucracy, rather than just, you know, going along. Yeah, but how, how is it left-wing? <sighs> I'm saying left-wing acceptance of state bureaucracy is a category in Solomon. I'm trying to prove a point about the priors. Of I know. I'm not understanding your – I'm not getting your point. How is Gilliman well, – that's because I haven't even – I haven't even made my point yet, and you're trying to, like, nitpick at me. Well, go, okay. Then make your point. All right. So uh, I lost where I was. Before you brought up the Imperium Secundus, where was I? So, so, so you were basically uh, contrasting – uh, the imperial bureaucracy versus versus the Reddit tier. Uh, right, know. right. The the idea there is that the bureaucracy is massively inefficient, right? Mm-hmm. And the 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 idea the, the idea from this is is sort of the the moral priors of the uh, of the people who wrote right 40k, which are suburban British people. They they want to exist in a world wherein any bureaucracy run by theocratic right wing people would necessarily be inefficient because they can't govern things in the most inefficient manner. I mean, you can you can see this. Um, uh, think about the way the Tao Empire is written, for example. Lip service is played to the internal contradictions of the Tao Empire, but the Tao Empire is on the rise and is a more vitalistic civilization. And it, you could even argue that it, the Tao are on the quote right quote unquote right side of history. That that the arc of history bends towards justice, and therefore the arc of history bend, bends towards the Tao. Right? Wasn't there that split off faction though? That one general that went and set up a, uh, a like a completely separate Tao uh, Empire, like without the ethereal caste. Yeah. Yes. Yes, there was that. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're you're correct. Basically the Tao Empire, even even those two, uh like like the far side enclaves and the and the normal Tao Empire, both of them both of them are secular humanist basically bureaucracies, right? Right. Even in in the uh 40K is written by secular humanist bureaucrats, like people <laughs> that are of that social category. And from there, now, while, while tinges of reality come in, that the Tao can't necessarily deal with everything in the universe because they don't have the full picture, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we like 40K because it has those little tinges of reality, but it is ultimately not a mythology we own. And, it, and the way it's prioristically constructed, it's constructed by secular humanist bureaucrats to cater to secular humanist bureaucrats. And that's the, the idea that 40K is satire will always be more sort of calling and, and sort of bearing on the setting than, than any attempt to sort of salvage it as, as something that's unironic because it doesn't bear to the way that a massive right-wing theocratic organization would end up um, functioning. The, it, because it, it, makes, it makes inherent assumptions that the Imperium would be inefficient because it is evil and bigoted, but the Tau would be efficient, and so would the Eldar. The, the secular humanists and the like the the woke foreigners right 
<laughs> well, I don't know. I still think that uh, with Gilliman coming back, there is room for. Uh, but I what doubt is? I'll take it this but way. But who is Gilliman if not a secular humanist bureaucrat? <laughs> so, so I would, I would like. I don't see I would the like, secular I would part. like to make a few little nitpicks well, here, he, and uh, Gil- Gilliman, like, uh, yeah. Gilliman in canon is now uh, he's. He's in order to prevent a civil war from these evil, bigoted, backwards right wingers. He's 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 like you know conforming to their religion. But like you know, Gilliman is a thirty k dude. Back in the day when the emperor was like Reddit, like <laughs> he was Reddit incarnate he was and like Reddit. tipped his. Yeah, he was emperor yeah, Reddit. Though. He's a like, Protestant. He, he tipped- he's he's doing the Reformation here. We're getting away from all this Catholic bullshit, and we're going back to actual oh, emperorism. No, 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 no. <laughs> there was no. Th- there was no emperorism back in the day. The emperor tipped his fedora, and nobody believed that the emperor was god, and that there were any gods because gods was evil and religion was bad. The emperor yes, was literally know, just I like know. how Reddit would run the universe. <laughs> like, yeah, but even even then, like the reason that the uh, cult of the emperor sprang up is because he is a godlike figure in that right, setting. Right. So even dialing back to the thirty k level. Of like you know, respect for the emperor is still going to be a religious type experience. It's just going to cut out the massive amount of you know ritual that is built up around him in the meantime. Not not really. I mean, because again, Gilliman isn't cutting out of that. He's just sort of cucking to it. But th- there was no like Protestant type emperor religion. Like emperor worship just develops as like because back in like they they were like. There was a lot of drama in 30k about worship of the emperor. Like that, that was like bad. Mm-hmm. Like you weren't supposed to do that. That was bad. You needed if you if you basically if you didn't tip your fedora hard enough, you got purged Stalinism style. <laughs> so and so, Gilliman so participated are, in that. So so <laughs> like, there there are a few points though that I do have to defend uh, because because somebody is going to bring this up. I know somebody's going to bring this up. Uh, so. Um, to, to answer your point about uh, a theocratic government, you know, and, and these evil, bigoted right wingers being inherently, uh, uh, in, inherently, uh, I don't know, I guess anarchistic or anthropic, right? Entropic, yeah. That the, everything's going to fall apart. The the I would like to point out though that at least in old lore, I don't know if they've changed this or not, but at least in old lore, they do kind of. Uh, they do kind of explain that uh, the Imperium, despite the fact that it is that it is slow and clunky, is the only thing holding the galaxy together, right? Like, like, like they do they do point out that that all of this religious fundamentalism is necessary to hold to hold back uh, the powers of chaos, and and you see, but uh, that's that's the conceit of it, right? Right. But but we, but what you but what you have to understand is they're specifically uh, contrasting this with the emperor's plan, which failed, right? Right, so, right. So, but the the conceit there is that the only way that this could ever work, period, is right. is, is if it is, was besieged on by all sides, and 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 their their massive Cthulhu like dark gods that hunger for your soul and shit like that. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, I mean, yes, in, in a sense, but this is, this is also like, this is also like fantasy, right? I mean, if, you know, if we had hordes of, you know, you know, some sort of desert, uh, you know, uh, anthropic, 
horrible God bearing down on us, right? Like religious fundamentalism would save us because it would rally all of us. It would, you know, it would, uh, it would cut through any like small differences we have between ourselves because we look at the bigger picture. Right. And, and even in the most recent lore, uh, Gilliman is actually, is actually, you know, kind of giving this to uh, the ecclesiarchy and the church is that, well, you know, demons are actually real and we do need faith, right? Despite the fact that, you know, he's, as far as I can see, Gilliman is kind of like, uh, it's kind of like the Sven, you know, <laughs> he's got, he's got, he's got contempt. He's got contempt. He's culturally imperial cult. Right, right. He's culturally imperial cult. That's right. You know, he, he was, you know, he's, he's got a lot of priors, but he also realizes that, you know, this is, you know, he, he wants a, a thriving empire like he remembers, but he also realizes that, you know, that didn't work and he needs to make something new and he's, he's got a lot of priors to him. So I don't know. I, I, but, but I do think that there is a lot to, to the, uh, mold buggy critique of 40 K and especially its developers, because because there is a lot of that in the lore where they just they use their you know their their bugman city uh you know uh personas perspectives yeah perspectives exactly to to you know insert things that are really stupid well here i've got a uh, i've got the perfect drop hold on okay are we sure they're retarded or are these <laughs> just normal british people <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you ever want like the average 40k fans take on things, you just you just need to like you don't have to look very far. And what you kind of you kind of see them saying about it is like, well, yeah, you know, obviously the Imperium would just fall apart into a bunch of civil wars and to be destroyed if there weren't any threats to it because the Imperium's inefficient and evil and a bad bureaucracy. Like that's what makes the setting cool is there there's no good guys. It's all bad and stuff. Like 40k is literally just like how do we manufacture how do how do um uh, secular humanist bureaucrats engineer a setting that l- literally just points out like how secular humanism is really good because everything else is shitty, and when you put all the other things together, it's just all bad and morally gray. Well, it's, you know? it's, it's secular humanism is too pure for this world, right? We, we just right, like that's literally the that's literally the consensus of the thing. <laughs> we, we we need to get to that point where it is pure enough for this world, right? I also like the idea, though, that it's like the only way to be a secular humanist is to be so blind and stupid that you can't notice the bigger picture of what's going on. <laughs> like the Tau, the Tau only make it because they ha- they're completely cut off from the warp. They can't perceive it. Well, that's that's the- 40, 40K has like the reason people connect with it is it has little bits of reality peeking through. Yeah. But just be don't, like, I, I mean, like, I'm not going to say like, hate on 40K. Like, I like 40K. It's got great ideas. It's got cool aesthetics. But you know, you gotta accept it as what it is, and it's 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 not. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's obviously written by left wingers because, I mean, if it was written by us, the Imperium would just kick everybody's ass and win. <laughs> like, well, I know? mean, because because we understand that in that scenario, they probably would be able to because oh, yeah, nobody's that like institutions are like okay. 40k like the setting ex- over exaggerates to a point that libertarians couldn't like <laughs> leftists will outdo libertarians on like the way they exaggerate how bad governments are at doing things when it's in their ideological interest and 40k is like oh, yeah. case in point like yeah. libertarians could not write a setting in which the government was more incompetent and they have tried <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I I get into these fights all the time. This is this is one of those uh, this is one of those critiques of like you know read a different book other than Harry Potter, or you do realize that Harry Potter isn't real. I've used that. I've <laughs> used that. You do realize 40k isn't real, right? Like, like, you know, all of these, all these things about, because, because I actually had some guy, we were talking politics and, and he just, he just pulls this. He's like, he's like, but, but we're all, we're all equal. We're all humans, human supremacy. Right. And it's like, you do realize 40K isn't real. Right. Oh, wait, was he trying to use 40K to defeat real world racism? Yes. It's like it's like the Catacan Codex. Like the Catacan Codex is literally like Catacan is like boomers. Like it's literally like uh, magapedes. Like if you look at the third edition Codex cover, there's like four white dudes, and then there's like their one base black buddy, and they're in the jungle about to fight some Tyranids, and it's like, well, as long as he loves the Emperor, he's my brother and the Emperor. Hail humanity! <laughs> like like that's like the now, Codex. Now I'm now I'm now I'm imagining a a, a like a Catachan saying that in the next one next to him, like squeaking his squeaking toy, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jack, all you got to do if you run into somebody who says something like that is say, "Point me to the nearest orc, and I'll happily side with a <laughs> you know a random human to fight him." Until then, I've got my own orcs to deal with, and they're a little darker skinned. Yeah, and not of the green shade variety. I had an interaction on Twitter like that um, this past week, where this dude, like, actually identifying like as the father of his dog, oh, was trying oh. to tell me about um about <laughs> about how 40k was like totally irony and like you know you, you know right wing stuff is still bad you know we just got to like you know and then he starts doing like this like very very like low church protestant tier like I'll pray for you type stuff and it's just yeah. like buddy mbucko whatever god you're praying to I don't want those prayers <laughs> right right uh, if you could leave my name out of it, please. Thank you. And no, I just I just responded back. I'll pray for you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a prayer war. We'll see who's God answers first. It was even better because, like, you know, that's obviously like the the final like I'll pray for you. So like he's doing like the I'll pray for you, buddy. Like don't be so mad. You know why are you so angry? Like he's doing like the psychology bit. And then I like I so like about halfway through it, I just respond I'll pray for you. Tough times ahead, buddy. And then like he like he like like he he doesn't respond for an entire day and then just blocks me. A day later it's just like ah <laughs> seething <laughs> i guess the prayers didn't go so well <laughs> oh no but like 40k like the one thing i notice is that like it's like supposedly like super based but like my interactions with the fans i'm like really is that is that like well, true fans of everything are terrible though yeah yeah but like it's because normies are terrible so and normie 40k being the most nor- normie and which which begs the question if 40k is so based then how are normies able to interact with it which really really is the uh that's really a question that needs investigation and uh looking into in my opinion well okay i, th- I think there's a difference between enjoying the aesthetics of the badass empire that's you know the evil empire and then actually adopting those morals as your personal code like it's very easy to find star wars fans who are like yeah i love the emperor uh but you know also diversity <laughs> well okay so so i would i would like to fall back on the npc meme for this uh for this mm. for this explanation because people 
you know, it's it's well known that that people, generally speaking, even even woke based and red pilled people will keep contradictions in their minds and believe both of them, right? And this is just something oh, yeah. that you do to navigate the world around you, right? Because because it's it's almost impossible to be completely, uh, you know, above board on everything. Because because you know you have a very limited perception around you, people will will get into 40k aesthetics because you know deep, you know deep down they really kind of like the setting and everything, but right because it's got those glimpses of reality right because it's got those but they won't but you know they'll never look at it you know it's a very shallow. Uh, uh, perspective on it, which which isn't too bad. It's escape. It's escapism, right? It's like, man, wouldn't it be cool to be in a setting where I could fight for my own survival? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm in a I'm in a setting where I I can't because that's illegal. <laughs> yeah, that's what so many of us face. Is this this. We've got this overbearing police state and and no support, but in the empire. Like every human is fighting. You are the police state, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're you're the guy. You're the guy at the front of the meat grinder being pushed into the enemy. But at least you know which side you're supposed to be fighting. Whereas right now, everyone's fighting themselves. Everyone is censoring themselves. Everyone is you know every, man is is uh, is checking his brother for a wrong think. And you don't know like who or where the enemy is and everyone is an enemy and you start censoring yourself in your head. So you're your own enemy. And it's just this confusing, unnatural state that really makes Warhammer 40K seem so appealing. I just want to kill some orcs. I just want to go kill. Yeah, some orcs. exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean it, that, but see, that's the thing is like, this is where I think that we cannot really i don't think it's really worthwhile to try to co-opt their mythology right um because 40k from its inception buys into so many of their priors like we have to own our own mythology we have to own our own sort of ideas and things and we have to build stories and ideas in our minds and to one another that actually sort of you know, I don't know, man, like the the way that so much of the West has been subverted is through infiltration and through modification and subversion. And so I don't I don't see any reason why we can't also do that back to them. You can do that when you're uh, when your opponent. And I guess we're getting a l- little political with this. But I mean, as a counterpoint, they were able to do that because we were not actively, you know, constantly rooting them out like. You know, back in the 1950s, there was no, like, mass doxing of commun... Like, McCarthy literally literally withheld the list of names of people that he knew 100% were Soviet agents. Like, he withheld it. He didn't release it. Like, it, I, well, I get that. So, I get that. You know, you know we... like, we're not, even, we're not fighting the same kind of, you know... You know, we're not fighting the same kind of war. Well, so, I mean, right. so, to, to use that metaphor, we're not. I mean, I mean, this is, this is another mold buggy and uh, critique, but but basically, I mean, because we're not entropy, we cannot use entropy to get what we want, right? We have to, right. we have to build it. We can't destroy other things to get what we want. Well, that's fine, but we can use entropy to undermine the entropic forces. We can cause them to. We can cause their efforts to undermine our society to fall into chaos. I want you to say that again. We can Slowly. use entropy to undermine entropic forces. 
Like, so, so, okay. So imagine, imagine you've got the superpower over rust and you can only cause metal to rust. You'd think, well, you can't really build anything, right? But a guy's running at you with a steel dagger and he's going to stab it between your ribs. You can't build a better society, but you could stop that guy from impaling you by rusting his dagger out of his hands. Well, eh, I mean, okay. Again, not to 40k post, but <laughs> we can use the chaos to fight the chaos. Well, I mean, no, it's like it's like getting the different chaos gods to fight each other. That's what I'm saying. It's like preventing them from becoming chaos undivided and getting them to to quibble and waste time fighting each other. I'm, I'm, That's I'm what going, I'm talking about. I'm going to fall to Slanesh and grow a vagina to own the Nurglians. Uh, no, those two are those two are in bed together. I'm sorry, but those two are in bed together, my dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna fall to I'm gonna fall to corn and and kill my kill my neighbor to 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 to, 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 to dab on the Snitchians. The bug chasers and the trans community are very tightly. That's true. Uh, so so tightly you got woven. you got your Nietzscheans and you got your will to power and then you got your Snitchians and you've got your will to change. Hey man, change for change's sake. <laughs> No, um, what I'm what, I, <laughs> what I'm trying to get at here is you're not going to be able to harness like entropic forces. Like you can take advantage of them falling apart, but you can't. Ultimately, you don't have the power or the uh, or the sort of like opsec or ability to sort of cause uh, sort of. Inf- it's going to happen and ultimately things will spiral out of control on that end you have to just be taking using that as cover to do what you do best which ideally would be building something i think you're completely missing the point like the the idea is that warhammer 40k can be used as a vessel for red pilling other guys it can be used to reach people even though it's written from such a paused and soy boy uh, point of view in the first place. It can still be used to our advantage because there are people who can be reached who are into it, even though they don't know why and they don't know what the next step is. So by completely surrendering it back to them, you're giving up a valuable asset that can be used on our side, even though they didn't intend it to be used that way. And they don't want it to be used that way, but they can't really stop us because there's so much more to this than just the official guys at the top. Hmm. I mean, I mean, I don't know how much experience you have with the 40k fandom, quote unquote, as as that man uh, delightfully explained to me that the 40k fandom, you know, exists. Fandoms are things that are real, guys, but uh, you can't you can't like uh, you can't like anything that isn't a fandom. I'm not right? interacting with the fandom. I'm interacting with well, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm with what I'm, what Tim. I'm, who likes 40k and I can deal with Tim. I don't care about the fandom as a whole. If we like if you get wrapped up in the overall picture, you're going to get blackpilled and give up. But if you find a guy who's into it, you can work with him on a personal oh, level. No, I was I was saying that as a, as a uh, I don't know if Tim is necessarily the most receptive uh, person to talk to. It doesn't that's it doesn't my, matter. Uh, work on it through the angle you've got. Work with what you have. Mhm. I would, I would, I still hold to the idea that you should, you should work on like just getting people at your church to be friendly with one another. And like, you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily so certain that, uh, that here's the thing is like, at the end of the day, the people at my church would be very unlikely to leave me out in the cold because I'm, I, they, they like me, they, and, and things are, you know, people take care of each other there and all that. Right. Like if your church, like, you know, 
I, I'm, I mean, maybe, maybe your church isn't the best where you're at. There's got to be like, you know, I don't know if 40k is necessarily the best, uh, the best recruiting ground for like, hey man. Well, okay. First of all, this, you know what this Sneech is, a, is like. This is a traditional games podcast, and people listening here are into it. So I'm saying, whatever hobby or field that you go into, use it as an opportunity for being an example. First of all, be the best that you can be personally, so that you can set an example for others. And then go into whatever you're doing with that constant self-assured mindset that uh, that you're not thrown into into this leftist uh, propaganda. You're not you're not taken for a loop. You know you can see it for what it is. You can call it out, and you can say, "Hey, my worldview explains all of this." And other people will notice that. And when they ask you, you know, well, what is your world? You can start dropping hints. You can start talking to them about these things. Don't close yourself off. Hints that I'm an uh, internet racist writing a yeti. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what they need right now. They don't want it, but they need it. Mm. Mm. The Yeti, Yetis are important. I think I think the ultimate uh, lesson or moral that we can draw from this is that uh, everyone needs to paint their models. If you if you just show up and you're fit and you've painted your models, like that's that's more that's better propaganda than trying to talk to people. Absolutely, like just be the guy people likes. People, yeah, like. but there's like a next step. You Once you're the quit, guy that people quit, like, then you are uh, you. Go ahead. Quit. I, I, quit I being take, an internet weirdo. Yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> I take I take the I take the Borzoi tack on this, where it's less important to try to convince people of the ideas and more important to make sure that if something were to happen, they'd be you'd reliably be able to like. You know, become worthy, take power. No, 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 not not that. Survive, survive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you have to survive before you take power. But that sort of stance is usually the black pill stance, and I think you and Borzoi are really similar on that aspect. Yeah, it was, I don't. It's I don't the think take. I mean, what are you talking about? He's he's gone through his depressive states quite a bit. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's black pilled. Well, usually black pill is what causes the distra- the depression. I don't think he's blackpilled, honestly. Mm. <laughs> dude, Borzoi says he's blackpilled. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know where you're coming from on this one. <laughs> I don't think so. Dude, I, wa- I, wanna, I want you to go on Twitter and then argue with him about it. Dude. You're <laughs> not blackpilled. Hey, Borzoi, I don't think you're blackpilled. <laughs> Change my mind. <laughs> yeah, right? Hey, I've even got a mug. Uh, I can hold a mug like that, too. <sighs> okay, okay. So yeah, that that's that. Uh, 40k, like Wikipedia, is left wing propaganda. Um, uh, Funko Pops are in 40k. This is irrefutable evidence. Um, I think that's uh, that's that's pretty much it. I'm gonna write a blog post about this. I'm gonna. I wrote a blog post about this. This is why I hate video games. They appeal to the to the male fantasy. Oh man, that's that that's like that Reddit. Are you talking about that Reddit one or that blog post? Is like, uh, what is it? Tolkien? No, no. There's this. There's this appeals. There's to... this video. Uh. There's this video of these feminists playing Grand Theft Auto, and one of them's like, "This is why I hate. This is why I wrote a blog post. Well, why I hate video games? It just appeal to the male fantasy." Well, yeah. There's and that. Then, like people will like. But there was that one that I found recently that was like race, the original sin of the fantasy genre. Oh no, we're like we're talking. We're just like meme posting. I mean, we we could talk about that if you want. Like we're we're like way deep. This is a long episode. I know, I mean, but this is just so triggering. It pissed me off when I found it. This whole you want to talk about? You want to save it for later and like talk about it next week? Or I guess I don't think I'll be as pissed off about it. I next mean, week. Why, why wouldn't you be as pissed off about it next week? It's still pissing. Yeah, but it's fresh. <laughs> it's fresh piss. You can't just, like, keep a simmering rage constantly? <laughs> no! 
No, but I, eventually I just give up and. Okay, okay, okay. Well, what do you what do you want to say about this? Like, I mean, honestly, what is there to really say about it? Well, uh, the, what I want to say? say is that if you're designing any kind of a setting or a role playing game or a computer game, and you've got different races, give them different stats. They has they have to have different attributes, if only because these people deserve to get pissed off. Because the thing that they're so mad about is that, like in Dungeons and Dragons, and and uh, you know, in the uh, Elder Scrolls games. Uh, dwarves get plus one constitution, and elves get plus one do, agility. Do not talk about Elder Scrolls games. I will go on a uh, <laughs> tirade. Tell me how racist the Elder Scrolls is. Here's the here's the thing, though. They're not even the same like species. It's like saying spiders shouldn't get a bonus to like making webs. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't even. I still don't get how he makes that jump. But he's just. He's saying that their basic uh, stance is that if you have a setting wherein your races are measurably different, you are giving too much of a nod to the credibility of scientific racism in the real world. Daz, right. <laughs> I mean, like, there's really, like, see, here's the thing. It's like, you're just mad that someone thinks this. Here's the thing. You know what the only the, the only response to that is? Okay. And you can die mad about it. Just respond to them the way they respond to you. Like, just be like, okay, maybe it is that way. And you can die mad about it. Yeah, I, I get that. That's just the thing that pisses me off is how many people are constantly regurgitating this and they might possibly be winning others over to their side. They're going to win, but that that doesn't mean that they're going to be able to get rid of all of the pre-existing genre games. And th- I'm not necessarily certain because, like, the idea is so ingrained. Like, here's where, like, normies will actually, like, kind of prevent D&D from, like, going way off the rails. Is like, if elves stop getting bonuses, you know how confusing that is going to be to the average normie? Like, mm-hmm. wait, what? Huh? What? Like, um, s- like, think Joe Rogan, but a soy boy playing D&D like for the first time and he's like but I thought elves like D&D 7th edition they've removed all races from the game it's just an aesthetic decision he's like but I thought dwarves were tougher Jamie pull up a, <laughs> pull up the cliff of g- clip of Gimli being tougher than Legolas no no in 7th <laughs> in, in edition D&D you're gonna have like anyone can be an elf you just have to like be living in the elf forest so you can have like you know three foot tall bearded elves. Oh no 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 no! Because humans are the stand-in for like um, Europeans and in, in fantasy settings. So el- it's not going to be living in the elf forest because elves mm. are going to be considered foreigners, right? Like it's it's anybody can be. Human. It's always it, it's it's almost yes. It's almost as once. Well, they already kind of have that. It's like everybody lives in the human domains too. Like a bunch of people. Like they'll always be like people. Can, everyone's welcome in the human domains. Human humans are cosmopolitan, right? Mm. Like that's the uh, that's the other conception right but like you know you'll i mean if they if they they can't honestly do that especially the thing as big as D, like dude come on like it's they're they're gonna try it and then like they're gonna get a bunch of like like grug like grug pilled soy boys that are just like huh what wait what oh my gosh i just looked at this guy's other related articles uncovering the african presence in medieval europe do we really need to talk about this? This dude is just a, he's just a historical revisionist. I mean, that's all like, it doesn't bear any more response than you are a historical revisionist. Shut up, nerd. Yeah. Like, come yeah, on. Nah, nah, th- this gay. Game of Thrones racism problem? Really? Wait, Game of Thrones is a racism problem? Apparently. WTF, I love George R.R. R. Martin now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man, he takes after Tolkien in more ways than one. I still hate him. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you. Uh, well, I, I just think Games of Th- Game of Thrones is like uninteresting drivel. It's like, wow, sex as, what, plot? What? Huh? <laughs> Race <sighs> reflects white privilege in a racist Eurocentric way of thinking about the world that goes. See, back like to you're just ages. you're just getting mad to get mad about stuff that you can just respond. Like you just gotta, you, dude. You just gotta like it's gonna happen. You just gotta look at him and be like, well, it's not changing. You can die mad about it. Also, you're gay. You know. I wish <laughs> I could say that, but you get banned off of Twitter for saying that now. So, uh, what are you a pussy? You got to be more clever. Yeah, no, I just like this is this is why the most powerful response ever to anything is just lol stay mad nerd. Mm. Most powerful response. That is true. Cuz they will stay mad and then they then they're doing what you wanted them to do and you win. Right. Well, what can you say in response to that I'm not mad, you're mad and then you just respond lol stay mad nerd. Like anything they respond to that with there's no good way to beat that. Like and it, it puts all the power to you. It, it minimizes them. It shows you minimize like there's no more, single more powerful response. You just got to learn to do that and become zen with these nerds. <laughs> gotcha. All right. You got to you got to reach nerdvana lol. <laughs> all right we're gonna we're gonna leave you guys there uh we're gonna leave you guys at nerdvana okay we'll see you we'll see you chiefs later uh catch you next week uh have fun keep gaming and uh stay safe guys paint your models paint your models clean your room bucko paint your models fight your local game master don't fight me i'm the local game master you gotta be able to defend your realm also uh my my current game should be my current game should be ending fairly shortly, so after that, there will be applications out after a some amount of time, so do keep an eye out for those. Do remember to pester me about them to keep uh, to keep a fire under me on uh, working on that, but uh, I'll see you all eventually, hopefully soon. And see ya. Uh, that'll be that. See ya. Excellent. Thank you.
Thank <laughs> you.